Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Let's talk about that speech with Claire and Rachel. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Let's Talk About Speech podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Claire. And we're back for another episode. Last week, we talked all about green screens with the wonderful ladies from PlaySpark Toys. So we hope you guys enjoyed that and learned a lot. I know I've kind of been researching and pulling out ideas to hopefully um, get rolling in the next couple weeks because it does take a little bit of a transition, but I'm really excited to try it out. So I'll have to let you guys know. Yeah, me too. And they were so much fun to talk to. They're so cool. So today we will be discussing assessment and therapy for social language. And in the SLP world, we call it pragmatics, but for all intents and purposes, parents listening, educators listening, social language. And this area of speech therapy is extremely broad. It includes things like turn-taking, reading cues, like reading the room, maintaining a topic, questions, comments in a conversation, recognizing how someone feels, eye contact, perspective taking, the list could literally go on forever. There's so much that encompasses this topic, um, but we really are only going to skim the surface. So we're not going to go too in depth. Um, we're going to try and span it out over a couple episodes because it could be really long if we tried to talk about everything. So um, I am going to be sharing some things, and I know Rachel probably will too, from the social thinking curriculum. If you're not familiar with that, it's by Michelle Garcia Winner. She wrote a book called Thinking About You, Thinking About Me. She also has a bunch of other books and she does seminars and all these things. And she defines social language as sharing space with others effectively and adapting to others effectively across context, context which I think is so important because it really is that first step is so much about understanding social language, not just using it because these children, um, often are very black and white thinkers and social language is so abstract that we really need to come down to their level and explain what social language is and what these aspects that we want them to do, why we want them to do it. Um, so it really is, it's a very complex topic. <laughs> um, Michelle Garcia Winner also says we need to teach these students explicitly what most of us know intuitively, which that's another quote I just thought was really interesting because social language, I don't know about you, Rachel, but it always just like blows my mind because it's something that we it comes so easy to us mm -hmm. 
but to a lot of kids, it doesn't. And it's just, it's something that we don't always think that we do need to teach, but we really do. And it's really important. I like that. They so, um, the, I wanted, go ahead. Oops, sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say, I like that they go over the, um, understanding versus just using it portion, because that's something, mm -hmm. um, I have an intern this semester and that was something that I was teaching her and something I definitely had to learn in the first couple years being, you know, in the profession is, you know, we have these goals for our students. And when I started, I was just drilling the goal, drilling the goal, drilling the goal. And then I was like, well, they're not learning it because I'm not teaching it. So as opposed to like always taking data on that, you have to kind of take a step back and teach them. And that goes hand in hand with this right. understanding piece with the social language is the why behind it. Because like Claire said, they are so black and white that the why will really help them to understand why it's necessary or beneficial. So I really like that she kind of highlights that as part of her um, curriculum or um, mm -hmm. services. Yeah. And she also, just from a professional standpoint of under, of us understanding what social language is and how to assess it and how to address it. She goes over the I laugh model. Um, that's just an acronym. So I laugh and you can look it up on Google. We'll link it and everything, but essentially I is for initiation of language. L is for listening with our eyes and listening with our brain, our ears. A is for abstract thinking. Again, we are bigger picture thinking in social language instead of just in black and white. U is for understanding perspectives, which is really hard for a lot of kids to understand. You know, I'm thinking something, but somebody else is also thinking it. And how do they feel? It might be different than how I feel. Um, G is for the big picture. So that goes along with that abstract thinking. And then H is for humor and human relationships. So um, just kind of going, that's a very brief overview of what you're kind of looking at for social thinking. Um, and I just think, I think it's so important when we're addressing it to use real life examples and to be in things like group therapy. I know Rachel and I both are huge advocates for group therapy, especially for social language, because how can you expect to just have them talk to you. It's just so forced. You really want to get that authentic communication and have them be in a situation where they can actually practice with their peers. And I feel like um, when I was in the schools for group therapy, I would really try my best if I could to bring in typical developing peers into the sessions to be a model and um, to be a friend as well, kind of like a friendship group mm -hmm. and across grades, I would do them like for a lunch group or something. But I think that's really important too, to have some of those peers thrown in. So it's a more inclusive group, not just them. Um, but I, I love, I miss groups because I don't do that anymore. I'm not in the school, so I don't really do groups anymore, but Rachel, I know you do them. Yeah. So, so that was something that I had done too, was, um, definitely, I would say all, I'm trying to think of my caseload right now. Yeah. All of my, um, social language or pragmatic students, they're all in groups right now. Um, and like Claire said, I do like to incorporate, um, some general education students in there too. Lunch groups are perfect for that. However, um, I did want to talk about the struggle that I'm kind of having right now because we are virtual and, so mm -hmm. pragmatic goals, a lot of mine are written for interaction, whether it's conversational turn-taking or topic maintenance or maintaining eye contact or whatever the goal may be. A lot of it is interaction-based. Now, I do have some that are like um, 
inferencing or problem solving and those can kind of be dealt with separately but i'm struggling teletherapy wise because yes my students are in a group but that doesn't mean everyone signs on that doesn't mean everyone's on at the same time um now yes we can still do conversation between you know myself and my intern and my student or you know any combination of that but it's a struggle so if you guys have any success or um you know you're kind of on to something definitely dm us we would love to share Mm -hmm. that because that's definitely something i'm struggling with and kind of looking forward to when we go back to in-person is getting back to that like authentic communication. And, you know, even when we're back face to face, um, those conversations are still, you know, they're kind of forced, right? Because that's why they have these goals is because they're things they need to work on, but it, it feels much more genuine. And I'm kind of like dying to get back to that. I know. I also feel like Zoom has its own social etiquette that has to be learned, unfortunately. Like Mm -hmm. if somebody is lagging, you just have to be respectful and wait. And Mm -hmm. I I truly think there's just a whole nother world of social skills on Zoom, which these poor kids that already have these social issues and are are working on them, that's that makes it really difficult. But yeah. So we wanted to touch a little bit also on testing for social language. So there's obviously a lot of assessments and we'll dive into those first. Um, the social language development test that comes in elementary and adolescent, or adolescent, sorry, elementary and yeah, adolescent. I am. Yeah, right I think you're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know why I, I was thinking adult, but I'm like, no, it's not adult because it's like teenagers. Yeah. Um, so that comes in two different age groups and that's my personal favorite. And I think it's because it breaks down communication skills really nicely. It doesn't just do problem solving, but it also does like situational base. Like, what mm-hmm. do you think this person was thinking? And, um, kind of putting yourself in someone else's shoes. And I think it breaks it down a lot nicer than some of the other ones. I know the topol, the, um, test of pragmatic, pragmatic language. Oof, that's a hard one. So I have a love hate relationship with this. And I feel like this is on my radar currently because um, I'm a co-department head for my district and we finally have money to spend on new assessments. And we kind of pulled all of our SLPs, like, what do we need? And all of our elementary school SLPs were like, please, we need something else for social language because we only have the topple. Mm -hmm. So here's the deal with the topple. If you're not familiar with it, I do think it's great for older students. It's not effective for elementary students, and this is why. There's no basal or ceiling, so you have to give the whole test. So number one, your administration's really lengthy. I think, I meant to look at mine today. Um, I think there's like 50-ish prompts, and with Mm -hmm. each prompt, there's a picture and then a short paragraph to read, and they start off with a couple sentences, but then they go to like, I don't know, five or seven sentences and they're all situation based about, you know, there's inferencing and problem solving and how do you think they were feeling and whatnot. So I think you get, I don't think you get great information from it because it doesn't even break it down into little subtests then for scores mm-hmm. like, oh, they really struggle with emotional development or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my beef with it. It's not great for elementary. And of course I'm in a K-5 building, so that's all we have. And I'm desperately looking for new recommendations. So I think I'll have to check out that first one, Claire. 
Yeah. Social link. I really like it. It is a little bit lengthy, but it's broken down into five subtests and, and it's not a picture for everyone. There's only, I think you only need the stimulus book for two, maybe three subtests and the rest you read. So, I mean, it is hard for kids though. Like regardless, it's hard for kids to complete assessments, especially social assessments. Mm -hmm. And I think that brings me to my next point with how I totally understand that you have to do standardized tests to qualify for services most places. So we have to administer these, but to be honest with you, it doesn't give us a really good place to start because it just gives you a score. And like Rachel was saying with the topple, I, I call it topple. the topple, but yeah. whatever, <laughs> topple, topple, <laughs> it's the same thing. Um, like Rachel was saying with that test, okay, so you get a couple of responses from them looking at a picture and then what? It doesn't show how they have a conversation. It doesn't show emotional regulation. Like she said, it just, it doesn't give you a good spot to start for goals and a good spot to start for what they need to learn as far as social language. So I think they just fail to show the true severity of the problem. Also think about these kids that you are administering these to, for example, a child with Asperger's that is so smart and knows a lot about social language. Maybe they completely understand that they are supposed to do X, Y, and Z for a certain social situation. They can explain that to you, but then when they are out in the real world, they're not doing it. They still struggle to maintain friendships. They still perseverate on their own interests. They struggle to hold a conversation. All of these things that the standardized test isn't getting, but you still see that there's a problem. So they're scoring in the whatever 60th percentile, but they still are struggling when they're in the classroom and when they're at home. So I think it's really important. I'm going to go back to the social thinking curriculum. Um, Michelle Garcia winner has, she suggests doing an informal dynamic assessment, which is really exactly what it is. It's just informal. Um, and you kind of assess the way they have conversations. You have like a mini interview with them and you, you direct, them, you kind of give them an open conversation. So you see if they ask you any questions, if they comment, or if they only talk about what they want to talk about, um, you make some of those observations. And then something she suggests that I really like is putting pictures in front of them of like your family, your friends, the things you're doing and see if they are able to one, ask you questions about it. And two, make observations about what you're doing. So if your husband is in the picture, you say, who do you think that man is? He's with my kids. Who do you think he is? And see if they can kind of relate. Oh, that's probably your husband. Or um, just like make relationships between social situations with who they are talking to. So I really like that activity because again, I think it, it takes into account how they are actually performing on a social level mm -hmm. instead of being just very, very basic and not, not very inclusive. Yeah. I feel like when I'm doing an assessment, um, you know, if you have to have the standard score, great, then you do one of those and get what you need to qualify them. But a lot of what I base um, goals and stuff on are either various rating scales. So I have used the, um, the observational rating scale on the self. I usually have a classroom teacher fill it out and a parent because sometimes there are noticeable differences uh, between the two, how they are at home and how they are um, in the classroom. I have also done the pragmatics profile on the self where they give you a couple different tasks that you can have the student do. Like one is making a paper airplane and then you kind of go down this checklist that they have on 
whether or not they did or did not exhibit these characteristics. But one thing I found, and I found it my first year in my CF, and I'm not sure where, but I'm sure we can link it um, for you guys. It's called the Social Skills Checklist, and it is for elementary school through pre-K. And what I love about it is it breaks um, breaks things down into three main sections. So there's emotional play, or excuse me, social play and emotional development. That's the first one. Emotional regulation is the second one. And the third one is communication skills. And then under each of those, I'm looking at it right now, there's three or four subcategories. And um, the person who's filling it out rates these behaviors either almost always, often, sometimes, or almost never. And typically what you want to see is all of those behaviors in the almost always or often column. And then you know, typically what you would see for someone who has a pragmatic or social language deficit is they usually fall in the almost never or sometimes column. But the nice part is it gives you percentages for each of those categories and kind of shows where their biggest deficits are. Um, and there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten sub categories. So you can see, because I've had it very clear on here that, oh, they really struggle with problem solving and flexibility, but their conversational skills are actually pretty good. Um, so you don't have to go through that. Okay, we're going to do topic maintenance and we're going to do, you know, turn taking and you talk and then I talk. You can kind of go straight to where um, the deficit is and meet them where they need that help. So that's something I like a lot and we'll be sure to link that for you guys because I think it's super helpful. I love that. And I love that because I think it's, it's not as black and white as a standardized test, but it's not, it's also not as abstract as just making your own. You still have something mm -hmm. clear cut and something to look for so that it makes it easier on you. Um, so I think those kind of checklists and things are really, really good. Sure. So getting into a little bit of the therapy side of it, um, just real quick for preschool, obviously any preschool SLP knows everything is play-based, you know, especially with social, you're always looking at their, the way that they play. That's what you're looking at first. And if they are missing some of the stages of play, that's probably where you start. At least that's where I always would start. Um, when I was in an outpatient clinic, as we just looked at how they were able to play. And I think in a school setting, it's even better because you can get them into groups. So you can do group play and are they just playing side by side or are they interacting with their peers? So I think from a preschool base, that's where a lot of that social stuff comes from. Um, for some preschool and then early elementary, super flex and the unthinkables is awesome. Rachel, do you know that? I haven't even heard of that. Oh my gosh. It's another part of the social curriculum or the social thinking curriculum. It's another Michelle Garcia winner thing. Um, but it's so super flex is like the superhero. He's super flexible. He has super flexible thinking. He's able to understand emotions and understand how people are, are feeling, but Oh no, he has all these enemies like rock brain who can't understand the way people are thinking. And Oh my gosh, there's some really funny ones that I'm losing, but there are seriously like 50 some unthinkables that are like his quote unquote enemies. Mm -hmm. And it's basically different social skills that kids struggle with. And so it's really cool because you give this concrete reference to these feelings instead of it just being a feeling that kids don't at that age really can't grasp yet. Mm -hmm. So you're giving them this person that's acting this way. Um, and I know for 
some of the kindergartners I would see in the school, we would make like signs of rock brain and put them on their desk and be like, I think you really have rock brain right now. I want you to act like, what would Superflex do in this situation? And it's really cute because it's like, it's just like a superhero story and it's just fun for them. And if you don't know what Superflex is, definitely look it up because I think there's a lot of free resources on it too. There's a whole book and like game that comes with it. Mm -hmm. Um, We had it at the school that I used to work at, which is why I know about it. But I think that there hopefully are some at least like educational stuff on it. So you could maybe make your own, but Mm -hmm. it's a fun thing to do with little kids for sure. I love, I'm, I'm loving that. I feel like that would be so perfect for some of my self-contained kids. Yeah. Um, I think they would love that because superheroes are very big. Exactly. Yeah. Very exciting. (laughs) Um, so as far as social therapy for elementary school, so I just kind of have outlined things that I typically work on. I feel like, um, you know, if they haven't already had, social therapy um, in pre-K, then this is obviously where it starts. So this is kind of where the like foundation of those social skills starts. So a lot of what I work on would be conversational skills. So making sure we're staying on the same topic. So topic maintenance, making sure we're avoiding interruptions. That's a really big one, especially if they're really into cats. I have a student that loves cats and only wants to talk about cats. And that can be very challenging for him to stay on the topic. So a lot of times what I'll do is we'll flip a topic card and say the card is all about holidays. And then he'll get three comment cards and two question cards. And I get three comment cards and two question cards. And whenever you make a comment about it, you play it. Whenever you ask your conversational partner a question, you play that too. And we kind of see who gets out of cards first. And they kind of like that because it's kind of like a race to see who can do it first. Um, But that also helps with them learning to talk about topics that aren't their favorite and aren't topics that they like cats that they always want to talk about. So I think that really helps. So conversational skills, that's really big. Eye contact is really big. Um, different social situations. So I have a lot of materials where there will be a picture, kind of like the topple prompts. There will be a picture, whether it's um, like an illustration, a cartoon or a real life picture with a couple sentence prompt. And then you kind of figure out how they're feeling or what the the situation is or problem solving. So that's a lot of what I do. Inferencing and problem solving. I do that with my older students, probably once they get to fourth or fifth grade and they have those like foundational skills. Um, I have a student that right now is working on high level inferencing questions. So it's, I don't know if you guys have seen these, they're grids and you'll have like five people five animals and five languages that they speak and then a bunch of different clues and you have to figure out Mm -hmm. you know who owns the dog and speaks french and who um i actually use them with my adult clients when i was doing like a cute rehab and claire i know i was gonna say yeah yeah. me too um so i like those a lot and the last thing i wanted to point out for um social therapy for elementary school because it's a great resource. And I know it's something we talked about during our all about books episode. Julia Cook books are amazing. And they're all about um, social um, and emotional regulation and learning. She has tons of different titles, um, even like very, very specific ones too. You know, like you had a parent who was deployed or your family who's um, has a 
sibling who's adopted, things like that. So social situations and social stories like that are huge. Um, mm -hmm. I like working those into my group therapy sessions. So, um, you know, it may pertain to one student, but the other students can kind of take that student's point of view and kind of put themselves in their shoes because that's very challenging for them. So those are goals and areas that I work on. Those are some activities. Like Claire said at the beginning, I feel like we could talk about this topic for hours and eventually we'll have um, more episodes that kind of break them down and specific activities for the things that we're talking about. But that's kind of social or pragmatic therapy for elementary school. Yeah. I love what you said, Rachel, about um, the, they put a card down for like every comment or every answer they make. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really important, whatever you use, I use um, these popsicle sticks and we make like something out of it. So like for every comment you get to add to the tree we're making or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but you can do it with whatever you guys, but I think it's so important to get out of the mindset of just having conversations based on what is your favorite, mm -hmm. because I feel like for, for some reason we start there, right? As a CF, I started there. I'll be for first sure. to say, that's how I address conversation skills. I'd be like, okay, Bobby, what is your favorite pet? And then it would just go back and forth. Mm -hmm. And that is not typical conversation guys. Like it's, it can only last for one session. Also, you're going to run out of favorites. Yeah. So it's good to start. And if you're, if your kid is at the stage of needing to just answer questions or even ask questions, maybe we can start there, but we really need to branch out and say like, tell me about your favorite vacation. And then they can say stuff and you can comment and they can relate to your favorite vacation. And there just needs to be so much more back and forth. And that's, that's my biggest pet peeve now, but I definitely used to do it. it oh, yeah. And I think all I of us start there. I would start there and then I'd be like, what's something you can ask me? <laughs> yeah, right. And yeah. it's so forced. Yeah. So yeah, just to get out of that for sure. Um, and then real quick for high school, um, high school obviously is a time of a lot of emotions, a lot of maturing happens in high school. So um, when I worked in a high school, I worked really closely with the teachers and with the counselors to provide um, some resources for social therapy, because a lot of times you are talking about bigger picture things. Um, you're talking about puberty. You're talking about asking people to a dance. Um, you're really talking about more life skills and you're talking about vocational skills and things of that sense. So real life experiences. I know um, for some of the classrooms that I worked with, we would go on um, like field trips and I would target their social skills there. They would invite me along, which was really fun. And we would do their social situations, maybe perspective taking, maybe it was maintaining a conversation, whatever it was, but we would do it outside of the therapy room. So with other people, whether it be teachers or friends or somebody at a um, we walked to like a gas station what there was a gas mm -hmm. station close by and they walked and they had to like ask questions. And, um, if you're able to do that, I think it's such a good opportunity. Obviously right now is hard, but just getting them out of the therapy room to practice their skills, I think is a really effective thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and then just making sure that the parents and the teachers are involved in their social skills. Again, especially for, this is across the board, but especially for high school, they're going through so many changes that may not even be just social related. It really could be emotional related. And um, although that is within our scope, I think we need to know when to reach out to a counselor, reach out to their parents. I think it's really important for older kids to make sure we're aware of those type of things and that we are preventative in that sense, especially with mental health and all of that. So, um, 
one thing I really wanted to talk about for high school, I forgot about this, my people files. So I actually did this with elementary kids too, with my fifth graders. So I think the fifth graders I were, was working with were at that stage where they could understand this, mm -hmm. but we literally made files for people and we put their name on it. We started with like their teacher. So someone easy, and they had to write down three things they knew about their teacher that wasn't visual. So you can't say she has brown hair. You can't say she wears dresses or mm -hmm. whatever. You have to say something you know about her. So she really likes cats. She loves her son or her, um, maybe she loves her cat, whatever mm -hmm. it is. Um, maybe it's, she always talks about, the sun and flowers. She really likes being outside. And so then we infer, okay, she must really like being outside. So, um, we compile it, we make facts. And by the end of the school year, we have all these facts about people. And, um, again, we start with their teachers, but then we go through people in their classes. So then we, we know things about them. And then I challenge them to start asking them questions. So if you really know, or if you really have learned that so-and-so likes football, ask them, did you watch football this weekend? That's how you could start a conversation with someone. So um, the people files, I think is so helpful. It's another social thinking thing. <laughs> I love that. It's and I'm fun. already thinking how that would probably really benefit um, a fourth grader of mine who yeah. every single session, whenever we're talking about making friends, he, the first thing right off the bat is he always tells me he doesn't have any friends and Aww. you know, I know, I know, <laughs> but then, you know, as we like pull it out of him, he tells me, you know, well, so-and-so did this today on class. And, um, I know that she likes this because she always wears, um, Detroit lion shirt. So that is perfect yeah. to kind of show him the concrete information he already knows and gather that. Right. I love that. And you compile it somewhere to where they can save it and store it because right now it's just going in their head and eventually they're going to lose pieces of it. But if you keep it in a special file for them, um, especially for these kids that really struggle to maintain relationships, they can have all these things about people in their class. And I think it's really helpful. Um, the last thing I'll put a poll out for is again, with social thinking, these think sheets, um, it's a whole book and it's pretty big, but you can find, I think on, so social thinking curriculum, I don't even know the website, but I'll link it something with social thinking. You can find some free of think sheets, but it's basically just sheets that help students understand social skills and it puts it in a very concrete way. So it's a lot of diagrams. It's a lot of like bubbles to fill. So things they can actually write, things they can see. And it's just a really effective way for them to learn the social skills again, because we, we need to teach them in a concrete way and we're teaching something that's abstract. So we really need to adapt our way of thinking to teach them effectively about social thinking. I love that. That's a great idea too. I, we're at the end of our episode and I'm like sad because I, I have all of these ideas. There's so many things you guys, I know, so and things many that things. I want to talk about. So we'll I definitely know. have future episodes and maybe break it down and do one all about conversational yes. skills and what that entails. And let us know what has worked for you guys. If you guys have like fun social activities, especially for over telepractice, like let us know, we would love to share it in future episodes too. Yes. I'm desperate, especially for <laughs> the teletherapy because I am struggling. I know. So that would be so helpful. All right, guys, that wraps up this episode. Thank you again so much for joining us. And as always, you can find me, Rachel, on Instagram at super sweet speech. And if you or anyone you know is in need of speech therapy in Southeast Michigan, 
feel free to email me at speechissupersweet at gmail. You can also follow the Let's Talk About Speech podcast on both Facebook and Instagram, so make sure you give those a like and a follow. Don't forget to check out our website, which is letstalkaboutspeech.com. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, make sure you rate, review, subscribe. We love looking at those and we love hearing from you. Yes. And you can find me, Claire, on Instagram at kindly underscore speech or my Facebook page, Kindly Speech LLC. And if anyone in the Ohio area is in need of speech teletherapy, please contact me, kindlyspeechllc at gmail.com. And then Rachel and I have the email for the podcast, let's talk about speech podcast at gmail.com. If you have questions, suggestions, or if you or someone you know wants to be on the podcast, we would love to hear and learn from you. So please let us know. Thank you guys so much for listening. Bye.